I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Admission. If you're a San Francisco resident, you may have already seen the ballots and pamphlets about the city's upcoming special election in your mailbox. The election includes two races, primaries for San Francisco's assessor recorder and the state's assembly member, as well as a school board recall. It's all going down on February 15th, and you may be wondering why it's even election season again. The races are a result of some major shakeups at City Hall, which include a sprawling political corruption case and a tense debate over how San Francisco education officials have managed schools during the pandemic. Three school board commissioners are facing a recall, and it's the most notable event on your ballot. Chronicle education reporter Jill Tucker is here to talk about the stakes of this recall. Later, I'll be joined by San Francisco City Hall reporter Mallory Mensch, who will talk about how the state assembly race is highlighting some of the city's top issues right now. She'll also explain what the heck a city assessor recorder does. But let's start with Jill Tucker to break down the school board recall. Jill, thanks for being here again. I know there are a lot of politics involved in this recall, but let's start with understanding why it's significant. It's the first ever attempt to remove members of San Francisco's school board. What precipitated all of this? This goes back over a year, I think, um, you know, and I think it, a lot of this relates to the pandemic and the fact that San Francisco schools remain closed when many private schools in the city were open and other districts opened, but San Francisco lagged. And while that might not have been enough to sort of provoke a, a voter rebellion, I think it was a combination of the school board at the time focusing on things like changing the name of 44 school sites, looking at changing permanently the admissions process for Lowell High School. Um, they were still, still also addressing the controversial mural at Washington High School, which they had voted to cover up and, and subsequently led to lawsuits. So they, they had a lot on their plate that wasn't opening schools. And I think that there were a lot of families that uh, were concerned about whether this school board was really focused on the best interests of children at the time. And that led to uh, what was really a grassroots effort to collect signatures and uh, recall three school board members. So there's been this groundswell of anger in the community about a number of different issues. Tell me why three board members are up for recall. Why do they have to face this and not the other four members of the board? Right. Well, frankly, the recall proponent said that they would have tried to recall all of the school board, uh, but only three qualified uh, in terms of uh, serving enough time. You have to serve uh, in your term at least a year to be eligible for a recall. And so the other four school board members had not been in their term for at least a year. And so therefore, these three were, were targeted. And Mayor London Breed herself has supported the recall. Was that a surprise? Yes. You know, I think um, recalls are kind of a drastic measure, right? I mean, they're, basically the voters are saying, you know, we want you out of office before your term ends. Uh, they're not willing to wait for the next regular election cycle. What made it surprising is that not only did London Breed endorse the recall of all three school board members, including President Gabriela Lopez, board member Allison Collins and board member Fauga Maliga, but she had appointed Commissioner Maliga 
to the school board when there was a vacancy. And so for her to, you know, less than four years later, basically call for his ouster, I think that that was, was uh, more surprising than perhaps the, the endorsement of the recall for even the other two. So there are a lot of people who are supporting this recall. For the people who are opposing it, what are they saying? Why do they think the recall isn't a good idea at this point? You know, there's a lot of uh, reasoning behind it. There are some, like from President of uh, the Board of Supervisors, Shimon Walton, who's just opposed to recalls in general. He feels that, you know, they're, they're a waste of time or resources, um, that, you know, it, you know, unless there is a a more severe criminal or other type of reason to to remove someone from office that it can wait till the ne- next election cycle. And I think that there's a lot of people who, who have that view. But others, you know, really have uh, serious criticisms of these three board members in particular. Lopez and Maliga were the leadership of the board over the past year, the president and the vice president. And then, of course, Allison Collins, after uh, some anti-Asian tweets were discovered, many people called for her um, resignation, including the mayor and many, many community members also called for her resignation. And then she turned around and sued the school district for 87 million um, school district and fellow board members for removing her from her vice presidency and, and committees. There are a lot of folks who just feel like that the leadership on the board, the direction of the board needs to shift and they don't have a lot of time to waste because they're picking a new superintendent this year. They have a massive structural deficit that they have to figure out. And so the proponents of the recall are basically saying, we don't have any time to lose. We need we need new leadership in, uh, in on the school board. Speaking of Allison Collins, you've reported on her at length because of those tweets you mentioned. Race has been a big part of this recall debate, and it's highlighting the influence of the city's Asian-American community. Of course, they aren't a monolith, but many of them have propelled this recall, and they've also been very vocal about the recent emissions change at Lowell High School. What does it say about the political power of this particular community? Yeah, I think this has really um, created a groundswell of activism in many Asian American communities across San Francisco, you know, among people who perhaps were not previously uh, active in the school board politics, um, Lowell High School is is uh, very near and dear to the heart of many um, in San Francisco, not just the Asian American community, but others as well. But I think that there is a strong support for the merit-based admission in the in the Asian American community. And I think that they felt unheard when the school board made the decision to make it a lottery system with really one week notice and very little public input. Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, the Asian community is really coming together uh, and saying, you know, we want to be heard. So it really is. It, it's been interesting to watch how this has evolved and really brought in a lot of voices that perhaps were missing from the public debate uh, previously. The debate over the recall has been pretty intense and sometimes polarizing. Some people have framed this recall election as a moderate or conservative power grab. Do you think that's a fair portrayal of what's happening here? I don't, based on really um, donations and and where the signatures came from across the city. You know, certainly there is some big money that's coming in from folks. It it does not seem to be a Republican power grab, as it was earlier described as definitely the three board members, or at least 
Alison Collins and, and Gabriela Lopez would be considered very much to the far end of the progressive party in San Francisco. San Francisco politics is kind of weird because moderate here is still very liberal Mm -hmm. (laughs) compared to the other parts of of the country. You know, it's liberal or more liberal. And looking at who some of the supporters are, there definitely is um, a pull away from that far left progressive and and more um, towards something that is not as to the extreme of that, that party. So now what happens next? We know the election is going to happen on February 15th. What happens if the recalls succeed? Who would replace these three board members? To be clear, each of them is is independently up for recall. If any of them, one or more, are actually recalled by a majority of the voters, then the mayor would appoint a replacement who would serve until the term is up. So they would have to either run for re-election in November or that seat would open up and they would then serve until January. Jill Tucker covers education for The Chronicle. You can find her San Francisco School Board recall election coverage on sfchronicle.com or on The Chronicle app. After a quick break, we'll talk about the stakes of another important position that San Franciscans will vote on in this special election, the state assembly race. Chronicle City Hall reporter Mallory Mensch joins me after the break. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Mallory Mensch, we just heard from Jill Tucker about the school board recall election. Tell me about the other races happening in this special election. What else will San Franciscans be voting on? Well, San Franciscans, if they live in the eastern half of the city, they'll be voting on who their next assembly member will be in the state state assembly. And that all San Franciscans, regardless of where they live, if they live anywhere in the city, they'll be voting on who should uh, the city's assessor recorder be. Uh, this position is not very highly publicized or well known, but it's pretty important uh, because this person tracks, identifies, and assesses all the properties, the taxable properties in the city, which brings in a ton of revenue. There's only one person running in that race, though, so hopefully the decision will be too hard there. So Jill explained why the school board recall came about. But can you explain why there's even a special election happening on February 15th? So a number of things happened, political dominoes over the past two years. First, I'll start um, with the assembly race, the reason why that is happening. Uh, The current assembly member uh, or the most recent assembly member, David Chu, stepped down in order to take the job as a city attorney. And that position was open because the city attorney had moved over to be in charge of the city department that handles water and sewer and power. That position was open because their director had been charged with fraud and so had stepped down and was involved in the corruption scandal uh, that started about two years ago in the city. And uh, there's a bit of a similar situation with the uh, assessor recorder. So if you remember that director who was at the uh, water, sewer and power, his wife used to have a important position in the city called city administrator that oversees a lot of departments and agencies in the city. After her husband was charged with corruption, she stepped down. So that meant that that position was open. The assessor recorder switched over. And so that leaves the assessor recorder position open and San Franciscans will now get to vote on who fills that role. 
February 15th is a primary election only. San Franciscans will likely vote again in a runoff election in April. And then whoever wins the race will have to run again in the statewide general election. Lots of movement for this one position. Tell me why the state assembly race is significant and who has decided to throw their hats into the ring. The state assembly race is significant because there are only two assembly members representing San Francisco, so it's pretty important. You represent a lot of people. And I think there's a general feeling among the candidates why they're running and among people in the city that it's important because a lot of issues that the city is facing, such as the housing crisis and zoning laws and funding for different things like mental health or drug treatment. Uh, A lot of that is decided at the state level or they feel like they need solutions at the state level to deal with it. And we have four people running uh, so far. Uh, One is uh, current supervisor, Matt Haney, who represents District 6. And then the another candidate is a former supervisor. Some people might remember David Campos, who was just until recently, he's taking a leave from his position as chief of staff for district attorney, Chesa Boudin. And then there's two other people who are also running. One is a city college trustee. Her name is Thea Selby. She's been involved in transportation advocacy and also um contributing to state policies in the assembly. And then Bilal Mahmood is a scientist and philanthropist and entrepreneur who has not held elected office before, uh, but wants to bring some innovation to the state. So many people predict that this is going to be a runoff between David Campos and Matt Haney, and they're both vying for the support of San Francisco's progressive voters. And you recently wrote a feature on Matt Haney. Can you explain to us what are the key issues he's running on and what sets him apart from Campos? Matt Haney is really pushing in his run, uh, his support for housing. So he really wants to address California's housing crisis and make sure that not only San Francisco, but other counties across the state are building more housing, that we have changes in zoning so that we can build housing as tall as we want, wherever we want it, near public transportation. He's also very much focused on equality. So making sure that uh, we're taxing the rich and uh, distributing and using that money in order to fund mental health or drug treatment. And what really sets him apart from David Campos, they do have a lot of similar policies, so it's uh, some narrow differences. Um, But one way that they have set themselves apart is on housing. And a central question of whether if you build more market rate housing, whether that will bring down rents. And Matt Haney recently supported a project at the Board of Supervisors, which did not end up going through. Uh, with was a nearly 500-unit building in Soma. It was about mm-hmm. a quarter affordable. And a lot of the other supervisors, and also David Campos, said, we need more affordable housing, and we're concerned that this is going to contribute to gentrification Matt Haney says, we need all of it. You know, we need this affordable housing and we also need market rate housing uh, to really address the state's crisis. So that's one place where um, they are creating some difference between them. I understand that David Campos currently has more endorsements from Haney's colleagues who sit with him on the city's board of supervisors. What does this say about his advantage? 
I've heard some different things on that, you know, whether it really matters so much if, uh, say, your local supervisor who maybe you support, if uh, he or she is supporting David Campos, whether you would go for them. I think it probably says more on, and reflects perhaps more badly on Matt Haney, um, mm-hmm. that some of his colleagues aren't supporting him, although some of them have longer relationships and have worked more with David Campos. So it makes sense why they would also uh, be supporting him out of loyalty. Um, but I think others said that uh, the maybe the endorsements of local politicians don't matter as much. You know, it also matters who's getting out more, who's campaigning, who's getting themselves in front of voters, who also has the p- support of important unions, which Matt Haney has a lot of union support, who has the support of community leaders, um, especially in different ethnic groups, you know, whether it's uh, community leaders in Chinatown or in the Bayview, um, those can also be really influential. Of course, uh, endorsements matter, but it's also, um, you, know, you know, the endorsements of, say, a local community leader, which can also matter as much. Do we have a sense yet on who may come out on top or is it too early to tell? I think it's too early to tell from I've spoke with a lot of people uh, over the past couple of weeks about what they think, what they're seeing. Um, polling released by David Kempis's campaign, which take that with a grain of salt, shows him slightly ahead in polling. Um, but we always take polling with a grain of salt. Um, but from speaking with different political consultants, I think they said it's uh, anyone's game at this point. Some said Haney, some said Campos. Uh, so we'll see who gets out there more and and if there's anything, uh, say, incredibly negative or anything that throws a wrench in the plans for either of them in the next month. And the Tenderloin is a part of the district that Haney represents, and that neighborhood has been a focal point of a lot of news reporting, which you have covered at as well, because of Mayor London Breed's tough approach on dealing with drug use in that area. It will be a top issue in the race. What are the other ones that you think will surface? You're right about the Tenderloin being um, a major focal point, how to deal with some of the issues that are, are most visible on the streets there. So as I mentioned, housing is a a huge a hot button issue um, across the state and especially in San Francisco. How do we address the housing crisis and especially get more affordable housing? I think climate change has been a big talking point for a lot of the candidates as well, uh, looking at how we address that on the state level, especially as we've seen more wildfires over the past couple of years. And finally, I would say also crime and safety, I think, is is big for uh, San Franciscans right now. Uh, obviously, that's the focal point of the recall of the district attorney, and that's something that's more within the purview of the city. But I think anyone who uh, elects uh, a leader here in San Francisco wants to see them talking about that as well. So San Francisco residents have already started receiving their ballots. What do they need to know about how and where they should vote? They can definitely mail it in person, and that is being encouraged because obviously we still have a COVID surge. Um, and then they can go in person to their local polling place on Election Day between 7 a.m. and 8 p.m. Or they can go to City Hall um, on other days that are not even Election Day. So they can go on weekdays from 8 to 5 p.m. or during the two weekends uh, before the election. And they can also go there on Election Day. Well, great. It's an important election. It's one that a lot of people will be keeping an eye on. Thank you for giving us the lowdown on what to understand about what's happening. Thank you. 
Mallory Mensch covers San Francisco City Hall for The Chronicle. Her coverage of the state assembly race as well as the city's special election is online now on sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>